Hello, and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I am the associate editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined, as always, by founder and owner John Vitzer. John, how's your week been? We've got some actual spring training games going now. I know, not much in the way of transactions, but, you know, games are heating up. You can see some early results of guys who are hot, guys who are cold, like small sample size, but people are like, hey, he's hot. Like, no, it's only been a couple days. All right. But anyway, it's good that that's happening. (laughs) It's really fun. It's the first couple weeks of spring training are where you learn about players you never knew existed and like (laughs) for people like you and me where it's it's our job to be keeping track of every player in professional baseball that matters that's incredible that there's still guys that it's like who the heck is that guy and where did he come from and why did he just hit that ball 460 feet is he on our list exactly yeah have him in our system i know i i find myself right you know watching late at night sort of broadcasts and like in the seventh and eighth inning, like when they bring out like the fifth stringers, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's that guy who has a 0.1 trade value. <laughs> exactly. The, the, the one, the one I'm thinking of specifically right now, and I, I'm never going to be able to find his name because who the heck is he? It was some kid for the Yankees a couple days ago. I've never heard of in my life. Hit a ball as far as I've seen one hit in a while. Wow. Do you know who I'm talking about? I don't. <clears throat> Man, I'll, I'll, I'll Trying to load the page right now. I'll see a little later in the show if I can pull up that name there and see if we have him in our system. But so as you mentioned, not a whole lot of news to get through. Uh, we will go ahead and review. There's the Jackie Bradley Jr. signing, the Hunter Dozier extension, a few other odds and ends. And then we have a new segment um, after our trade of the week. We'll have a new segment that is called Why Weren't They Traded? And it's kind mm-hmm. of a look at some of the leftover trade chips and there, there's a few different categories of them there's the guys that everybody thought would be traded and there's some guys that are a little more speculative in nature but we'll run through each of those categories and kind of explain try to explain try our best to explain in some cases we might not be able to uh but why they're still with their current team and what their outlook could be at the deadline uh, this is we're getting a little creative here <laughs> with the <laughs> lack of news and this could end up being a bit of a preview of a series you might see on the website in the coming months so just a little tease there uh but let's go ahead and get started get into it with the free agent moves and signings starting with jackie bradley jr to the milwaukee brewers this just broke late on wednesday night he was one of those last two big free agents on the market now the last one is Odorizzi and I think it was on this podcast. I might be mixing it up with another podcast, but I, I speculated last week that maybe he's the type to stick around until the season starts and just be kind of hanging around free agency because nobody would jump on him. But clearly I was wrong there. Um, he finds a home in Milwaukee, which isn't necessarily the most natural fit. They have Lorenzo Cain coming back. He had opted out of the 2020 season, uh, but they have him back and he's on that big contract. So even if he isn't what he once was on the field. They were still going to give him that center field spot, let him take it. Uh, So Bradley will reportedly play a corner, probably right field. And he'll sign, the contract he signed is two year, $24 million. Uh, The first year pays 13 million. And then there's an opt out before 11 million in the second season. Seems pretty clear. He's betting on himself here. The outfield market next off season is very, very weak. And maybe he will get, if, if he proves that his 2020 offensive performance isn't smoke and mirrors, then maybe he will get a significant multi-year deal next offseason instead of kind of settling for whatever the market has left for him. Yeah. So the first 
let's talk about his valuation. Um, he went higher than I thought he would in terms of dollars. Um, and in fact, everyone I saw, whether it was MLBTR or Fangraphs or whatever, we all, everybody had him in the, the 216-ish range. Um, and that seemed like, um, like we can push it and say maybe 218, and that's kind of where we ended up with his value. But you kind of have to squint going much farther than that um, based on all the stats that, that we use in our model. The one thing I can think of to maybe push it a little higher is the defensive metrics. Now, and we all know that's his main value is his defense in center field. The defensive metri metrics often don't do him justice. Like mm -hmm. the best you could argue, you know, outs above average from baseball savant is maybe the most accurate one. And that's probably the best characteristic. But there's still a sense that it doesn't quite capture all of his value. Um, you know, keep in mind he was playing in Boston, which is a fairly easy center field to play. But people have noted that in bigger parks, his value tends to come out because he's so great at that first step and he's so instinctual and he's so smooth. Like he can, he can play center field in any big park, right? And so having transferred to a bigger park, he might actually show more value. I don't know. I'm stretching here, but that's my only sort of theory about why he went a little bit higher um, than people were predicting. Um, so anyway, we have him at, um, you know, I can I can justify a case for him being in the 18s, which means there was, this was an overpay of, you know, roughly five, close to six million dollars now there is some um i'm hearing there are some deferrals in this which we don't know the exact details i heard 13 million for this year and 11 for that one but some of it is deferred we don't know how much of which year so that could impact the valuation a little bit because some of depending on when that money is paid out that could lower the, the net present value but still it's an overpay it's just it's a minor-ish overpay minor-ish to medium overpay maybe perhaps based on the fact that he's, he's undervalued based on his defensive metrics yeah one other point there that I, I i believe i mentioned last week or maybe the week before um just some theorizing about the composition of the baseball where it came mlb announced that they were kind of tinkering with it a little bit and it's presumed that the intent there is to deaden it and if it is deadened then suddenly outfield defense becomes more important so maybe that's a factor here where if Kane yeah. is still a plus defensive center fielder, then they have Bradley in a corner. Yelich, the metrics are a little bit uncertain on him at times, but he's an athlete. He's a, at least an average, I'd, I'd say, corner outfield type. Um, so then that's suddenly a pretty good defensive outfield for what isn't necessarily a super dominant pitching staff. And so maybe that's a good fit there. This also leaves Avisail Garcia's future kind of in question. I know he... Came, he struggled in 2020 in his first year with the Brewers. Um, he came into camp. <laughs> hold your tongue. Bite your tongue. I know I know. best shape of my life. But he came into <laughs> camp in reportedly pretty good shape. Um, and now they don't even necessarily, they can't even shift him to first base or anything like that because they've already shifted uh, Keston, Hes, Keston Hira <laughs> there to yeah. uh, make room for Colton Wong at second base. So maybe it is a pseudo platoon there. Maybe it's... Maybe it's just a rotation. Maybe they're going to ease Kane back in a little bit since he did sit out the entire 2020 season. But so so there's ways to, to make it's not the most natural fit at first glance. You would probably say that that's the Astros at this point, but it seems like they're tapped out, not going to spend much more money. Um, so if if there was no clear natural fit, this does make some sense. It, it, it does shore up their outfield for sure. It does. And they've done this before a couple of years ago when they brought in Yelich 
of obviously in a huge trade and also signed Kane. You know, they squeezed out Domingo Santana, who had been coming mm-hmm. off, you know, similar to obviously Garcia. He was more offense than defense. And, and you know, everyone's like, thinking, how are you going to fit all those outfields? You had Brian Braun at the time. And so, like, but they made it work. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, they shifted around and they made it work. And so this is not the first time they've done this. And they have a tendency to just like, okay, we're going to sign a good player and we'll let the ships fall where they may. So I think that's going to be the case here. And I think Avisail is probably going to be the bench guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this this news comes on the day that it's finally unofficially official that there won't be a universal DH in 2021. I mean, it's been it's been known for I'd say a couple months now, uh, but it's it, it seems like it's it's more set in stone now that there won't be a universal DH. So that's not that's not the uh, solution here to sticking Garcia there and running with this defensive outfield. But you know. Teams need more than three outfielders to get through a season. There will be some sort of timeshare there. Bradley hasn't always been the best hitter, and especially against left-handed pitching, he hasn't always been the best. Garcia's always crushed left-handed pitching. There's a pretty clear fit there, and there will be days where just Yelich or Kane gets a day off, and Garcia starts against a righty. So it's not too hard to see the fit here. Um, Yeah. One other point on um, a related point to JBJ is that um, it – I think this impacts uh, Kevin Kiermeyer's trade value as well because they're so similar, and and we've had it on our our resident um, most vocal sort of raised supporter on our site MP2891 has been arguing that we're a little too low on on Kiermeyer, and now that we have a price point for JBJ, he's making the case that that's where that's where you know uh, Kiermaier's value should be or or fair at least so Kiermaier is owed about 26 million dollars over the next two years based on his existing contract and we had him at minus 9.7 but if they're you, you can make the case that they're roughly the same player so I did make an adjustment to, to Kiermaier's value uh, and he's now in the minus five somewhere um, I think he's got a little bit more injury injury risk and in fact mm-hmm. he's out right now um, and he's his style of play and you know this because you've done articles on it is a little bit more risky than I think Whereas JBJ is very much, you know, Mr. Smooth out there. Kiermaier has a tendency to kind of, you know, crash and dive a lot. <laughs> it's harder yeah. on the body, which means he's he's likely to, you know, um, he's likely to regress a little bit more to the negative. So um, I, I think he's, he's, I would put him slightly below JBJ for that reason, just for pure health risk. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does impact his value a little bit. I would say he's, you know, he's a little bit more valuable than we first thought. So I've made that adjustment. Yeah, I definitely see that argument. I mean, comparing them side by side, they're both 31-ish. Kiermaier turned 31 in a couple months. Uh, they're both mm-hmm. plus defensive outfielders. The metrics like Kiermaier a lot more than they like JBJ, so you could say that's a point in Kiermaier's favor, but also JBJ has been a better hitter more recently, so that's a point in his favor, and then the injury mm-hmm. risk. So it all sort of evens out, but I agree that the injury risk probably does tip it a little higher in uh, Bradley's favor. Uh, but but that that is a good point, a good comparison between the two. That uh, maybe we were a little bit low on Kiermaier. Yep. So there you go. <clears throat> All right. Before we move on to this next piece of news, I want to give you a quick update on this Yankees nobody thing. <laughs> <laughs> His name is Chris Gittens. We do have him in the system at 1.2 million in trade value. Ah. He was ranked by Fangraphs the Yankees' 46th overall prospect. He is 27 years old, has not played above double A, first baseman, right, right, 6'4", 250, 80 raw power. 
Oh, there you Smacked go. 23 homers in double A in 2019, a 164 WRC plus. And just checking out his page on our site, his most his two most recent uh, trades proposed on the site both have him headed to the Colorado Rockies, and I, for one, want to see it. <laughs> yeah, right? Get him at, up there in the altitude, and God knows that he always need first baseman up there, so yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, 35 hit tool, so <laughs> maybe not too pretty, but, but let me yeah. see it. Come on, give me something fun. You wouldn't give me Stanton to Colorado. You're probably not going to give me Gallo to Colorado. Give me Chris Gittins. That's close enough. So is it a two strikeout, I mean, two, um, two true outcome? Is it just strikeout or home run, or does he walk it all? Uh, I just closed the page. Let me pull it back up. He walks quite a bit, 14.9%. There's it go. Okay. So Although three... that is that is double A as, doing the quick math, I believe a 25-year-old. So that's a little uh, low level. Yeah, okay. But throughout his career, he's been in double digits. He's been at okay. least, his lowest was 11.6% back in rookie ball in 20, 2015. So he's, <laughs> he's got it. <laughs> yep. Go, three, get three on up. that, Colorado. Come on, you can get him for cheap. The most yeah. recent proposal is for lefty reliever Ben Bowden. Come on, make it happen. <clears throat> yeah. All right. All right. Another right-handed slugger. We're going to talk about Hunter Dozier agreeing to an extension with the Royals. It'll be four years. Uh, total is $25 million with a $10 million option for 2025. This one caught me a little off guard. It's a bit strange. Um, like, the mo- like most of... Kansas City's moves this offseason. A little bit strange. Makes you, <laughs> makes you think a little bit. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's somewhat along the lines of the Whit Merrifield extension that they hooked him up to a few years back in that both players were kind of late bloomers. They signed these extensions before they hit arbitration, but they were already heading into their 30s. Dozier is 29. Uh, but the difference there is that, and, and they are relatively similar contract values, I believe, but the difference is that Merrifield is an athletic, plus defender, versatile, speed, kind of an all-around contributor type, and Dozier's a little bit more one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. So I, I was caught off guard by this. I, I don't think it's necessarily an overpay. I'd be pretty surprised if he was worth $10 million on that option in 2025. But right. what what does the value say here? So the values say it's uh, fair, basically. So now we have his... Um, well, we're going to assume that $10 million option for 2025 is declined because at that point he will be in decline. So we're really only talking about the years up, up until that point. And he's worth um, 26.5 and he's getting 20, 26.3 and he's getting 25. So it leaves him with a 1.3 surplus. In other words, they've given themselves just a teeny bit of cushion. Um, you know, they're basically just locking him in. And the benefit to the Royals is they got cost certainty, right? Because sometimes if you explode and have this fantastic year your arbitration price would go up this way it locks it in to a certain point so that's the benefit of the royals and they get a tiny bit of surplus uh the benefit of dozier obviously is he locks in you know a cool 25 million guaranteed for the next few years so can't say that's bad you know and also the royals obviously are loyal to their players and i think they they care a lot about kind of the fan component about like being able to see their guys more you know consistently you know instead of being a team like the rays or the a's or always trading their guys the royals like to keep their guys like you know as long as they they're loyal to a fault right they kept alex gordon mm-hmm. probably too long and a couple other guys too long they kept Salvador paris but that's worked out okay but but they're loyal to a fault tendency and they have a tendency to like i think cultivate a fan base and 
to to come and see their favorite players and keep them around for a bit. So good for them, and I think this is one of those kinds of moves. I'm interested in the Royals. I <laughs> I think if you if you told me about each of their moves this offseason individually, like the Mike Miner <laughs> signing, the Carlos Santana signing, the Benintendi trade, individually I'm not a big fan of any of them. Yeah. But when you take a step back and kind of look bigger picture, you can squint and see something that makes a little bit of sense. It's weird. It's not conventional by any means of any kind of rebuild we've seen recently. But what you see with their team is their system is much heavier on starting pitching. They've got Asa Lacey that they just drafted, Daniel Lynch, a handful of other really talented young starters that will be debuting either this season or next, most likely. But not quite as much depth offensively on the farm. And so they're getting a little bit aggressive here in adding some offensive pieces or locking up a guy like Dozier, where a lot of teams would have traded Whit Merrifield the season, the off season that they extended him. A lot of teams would have capitalized on a 30 year old's value and traded him probably yeah. a similar thing with Hunter Dozier here. A lot of teams would have traded him after his strong 2019 season saying, Hey, this guy's older. He's probably not going to be around for the next good team. And if he is, he's not going to be as great because he is older. Let's get the most we can out of him right now. But the Royals kind of buck the trend there, and I don't hate it. I don't think I love it either, because I think in the long run it might hurt them. They might uh, end up with a bit lower draft pick because they are a slightly better major league team right now than a team like the Tigers or the Orioles that's fully committing to this rebuild. Yeah. Um, so I think they might end up with a slightly worse draft pick, um, which, which f- just furthers their problem of missing some of that offensive talent in their system. Yeah, but but I, I do agree with you that I respect the commitment to let's keep our guys around. Let's try and we're rebuilding. Yes, but let's try and put a solid product out on the field. And so that once we are good again, some of these guys have already been around for a few years and they can kind of lead the charge here. Um, Dozier specifically had a bit of a weird 2020 season. 2019 was his big breakout, 26 homers, 123 WRC+. Bit of a step back in 2020, but in a weird way. He walked a ton more, struck out about the same amount, and it was really his power that just kind of dropped off. Um, Only six homers in the shortened season. His exit velocity dropped significantly. His hard hit rate dropped significantly, hit a few more ground balls. That that seems like the kind of thing that I I don't know for sure if he was injured at all. That seems like the kind of thing that could be injury related. Seems like the kind of thing that could be, oh, he just never got into a groove. It was a 60 game season. Yeah. Um, But I'm I think there there's a solid bat there. And I think it's a solid enough assessment of that bat that the base deal here of four years, 25 is right in line with what I would expect there. And that's that's what the values say. The values agree with me there. Yeah, exactly. You know. I think I think to your point, the Royals are interesting because, look, everyone knows they are rebuilding. They know they're rebuilding, but they don't want to rebuild in the way the same way like the Orioles or Pirates are rebuilding and mm-hmm. just like totally tank. They want to still have a product that their fans will come and watch on a summer night, right? And they, they mm-hmm. you know, they got your Whitmerfields and your Hunter Dozers, and so they can root for them. So while they're rebuilding, on the one hand, they're 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 they've got some stars on the or semi stars on the other hand and they're hoping to kind of thread that needle i think um maybe they out think okay maybe we have an outside shot of the wild card the al central is not that strong a division maybe we can sneak in there good for them um i i don't fault them for it at all it'd be interesting to see if they actually pull that off would you care to guess their playoff odds on fan graphs yeah yeah it's probably low like one or two percent it's much higher. It's 8.4%. Ah, well, still single digits. And that, that compares to 
a flat 0.0 for the Orioles. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and 0.4 for the Pirates. So like like it's it's by no means is it likely that they come anywhere near the playoffs this season but i mean you look at their lineup there's something there with merrifield yeah. sal perez had a big year carlos santana his batting average kind of tanked but he's always been an obp power guy jorge soler is great dozier's sticking around and then they got guys like ben and who could just kind of click so I'm not in any way projecting that. I'm not <laughs> I'm not saying Royals are making the playoffs 2021 book it. But I I do have some level of respect for what they're doing even if it might not be the optimal decision in terms of maximizing maximizing their 2022-2023 team. Yeah. Uh I I at least respect what they're going for here and I think that I think they're in a position with the young pitching that they have that they've accumulated. They're in a position that they don't necessarily need one of those full-on tank rebuilds, sell all their assets because they have a pretty, pretty encouraging young wave on the way. Yeah, it's still not the greatest farm, but I mean there is some good, interesting young pitchers, you know, and Bobby Witt's still probably a couple of years away. So the position players, I think, still, you know, they've got a couple guys, but I mean it's not enough to like really say it, it's not like the huge Padres farm was or the rays always are you know it's it's not that quality but there's a couple of guys and so they're trying to patchwork it together and see what happens yeah and last couple points here um the weirdest thing i think of their moves is that almost all of them were with kind of a two-year outlook here Mm -hmm. they signed mike minor to a two-year deal i believe that had an option as well Uh, carlos santana was a two-year deal benintendi has two years of team control and in that Mm -hmm. benintendi deal they gave up khalil lee and -hmm. we had that as a massive overpay so and that's even pending some of the players to be named later there so i'm not sure exactly what that's about um yeah if if they were going for this uh this approach i don't know if minor's the type i would have targeted but then again as you like to say, it takes two to tango there. Miner has some familiarity with Kansas City. Maybe a pitcher like Odorizzi or whoever else they might have wanted wasn't interested in coming to play for them. Uh, but it, it, it's weird. <laughs> no team well, is doing what the Royals are doing, and this is just another another point in that in that factor. Yeah, one other factor to keep in mind is that they have a new owner. Uh, mm-hmm. The team was sold at the end of last year. Um, Sadly, their old owner passed away, but the new owner is, um, he used to have a share of the Cleveland Indians, but he's really a Kansas City guy, so he jumped at the opportunity to buy the Royals. And it's his first year of fully being the the new owner, and maybe he wants to say, hey, let's make it competitive while we're Mm -hmm. rebuilding. So he's probably giving some March orders. So, sure, have some fun. Adam, yeah. Okay, let's move ahead to these really minor moves. We can probably just fly through them. Let's start with, uh, speaking of flying, let's start with Gerard Dyson, who the Royals did re-sign as well, <laughs> because, you know, some things are certain in life, death, taxes, and Gerard Dyson being on the Royals. <laughs> uh, it's a major league deal, which was a little bit surprising, but I'm at some point I got to stop being surprised about <laughs> the Royals making kind of weird moves. Uh, it's only $1.5 million, so whatever, even if he is just kind of a pinch runner type. With his his age, his speed, he's already 36. His speed has deteriorated a little bit, but he's still, yeah. he's not the slowest guy in the world. He can still be a little bit productive off the bench for you in that role. So not not too much to get into here, I don't imagine. 
He's the fifth outfielder. I mean, but they the weird thing is they had signed uh, Michael A. Taylor a while back to play center, mm-hmm. and he's basically a younger version of Draw Dyson. Got some speed mm-hmm. and defense, not much of a bat, you know. So um, <laughs> they basically cloned him. <laughs> Here's the older version of him, mm-hmm. uh, you know. So it's yeah, Ali is I think he's a late inning replacement slash pinch runner, and they're paying 1.54. That's a little bit of overpay. We have his fair value at 0.8, but at that point, it doesn't really matter much. Yeah, they're doing uh, they're doing their own version of the Mets little center yeah. field shuffle with the Kevin Pillar, Jake Marisnik, Juan Lagares, all that, Albert Almora. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, for whatever it's worth, Gerard Dyson, 2020, 67th percentile in sprint speed, so he's he's at least still an above <laughs> average runner. Okay. Not not nearly what he once was. Yeah, 36. I mean, Usain Bolt, he's not he's not in the Olympics. You know, like once you get in your mid 30s, you're losing your speed. You know, so. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and his his stat cast metrics in a small sample not great on his defense anymore. He's, that's yeah. definitely that's the part that he's lost the most. Yeah, so a little bit of surprise, but okay. All righty, next one. The Red Sox got Bryant from the Cubs. Did you see that? <laughs> I did see that, and Jeff Passan made that joke, and everybody made that joke. <laughs> yeah, I'm original. Can't you tell? <laughs> I, but I believe Chris Cotillo had the bad joke first, so I'll, I'll credit okay. him. Uh, but All the, right. this was a completion of the deadline Josh Osich trade from last uh, last summer. Uh, it really, really minor thing. The Red Sox picking up right-handed pitcher Zach Bryant. <laughs> Not Chris. <laughs> Zach Bryant. He's a 22-year-old low minors pitcher. Uh, I, I don't know anything about him. <laughs> no, and <laughs> but... he's not and he's not on any of the prospects groups we follow. Yeah. So he's... he's that... and, and... You know, zero point one. Yeah, I, I believe Josh Osich, Osich was either zero point zero or zero point one in, in value, in something like yeah. that. It was it right. was just some minor trade, and the deadline for the player to be named later was was recently, and they they completed it. So <laughs> that's that. Throw in. <clears throat> All right, the Cubs brought back an MVP candidate though, in Ryan Tapera. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. Ryan, you got an MVP vote. Yeah. Uh, he gets 800,000 800, on a major league deal. Again, not a whole lot to see here. He, he's a middle relief type. He was a decent reliever for them in 2020. He's had some bright spots throughout his career. He's never going to be that shutdown closer type. He's more of a mid-90s, low-90s cutter guy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that that's a team that could use a little bit more bullpen depth. They seem like they're at least going to see what happens in the first half. Um, that's... <laughs> They traded Darvish. That was likely more for financial reasons. And then kind of late in the offseason, I think their ownership approved them to spend more. And that's why you saw them sign uh, Jock Peterson. Uh, I, I believe there was another uh, starting pitcher that they signed, maybe. Uh, but they made a couple late moves there with that money that they kind of found at the end of the offseason. Yeah. So yeah. this isn't a team that's starting to tank yet. They're going to give it at least one more ride while they still have Rizzo Bryant Baez under contract. And this is this helps shore up their bullpen a little bit, which I know has been a bit of an issue for them in the past. <clears throat> yeah, and he didn't cost much. He was 800k. We have his fair value at 1.4, so a little bit of surplus there. But mm-hmm. you know, re- I will say reliever values tend to fluctuate a bit, and so it's a range. So it was it was low enough that it's considered fair in that range. So it's fine. Mm-hmm. All right, this next one is just objectively silly. <laughs> it's. The Blue Jays acquiring Travis Bergen, Bergen, left-handed reliever, whoever, from the D-backs in exchange for cash considerations. If you'll remember, they traded Bergen to the D-backs in exchange for Robbie Ray. 
<laughs> last yep. deadline. Yep. And so now they get him back, plus they re-signed Robbie Ray to a free agent contract at the beginning of the offseason. So now they now they got both of them back. It's a little, little similar to what we were mentioning last week with the Mariners and James Paxton. Just uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody's hailing the return of Tra- Travis Version the way they were <laughs> when James Paxton returned to Seattle. No, but obviously the Blue Jays, well, I guess they liked him enough to, to, to want him back. I mean, look, that's obviously not much of a deal. I mean, we, <clears throat> you know, he had no trade value, except, you know, you can maybe say he had somewhere in the low, you know, single digits, but I mean, the low, like 0.1, 0.2 area, you know, somewhere in that range. Um, but, um, you know, the Diamondbacks DFA'd him. So, you know, he's and this was after last year. I think he was, was he DFA'd before they trade him to, I uh, know I don't think he was, but I don't think anyway, so, no. he's been in this low value range for a while. But mm-hmm. there's a just enough, a, maybe there's a spin rate or something they like that they think they can work with to uh, get some value out of him. And he's a lefty, so you you know lefties are always slightly more in demand. And it could just be a case of this. The corresponding move here was Patrick Murphy going on the 60 day injured list for them. Yeah. Um, listeners might remember that I, I had an article about the Blue Jays a few weeks ago about all of this incredible starting pitching depth they've accumulated. And so per- Murphy was he was a small part of that, but he was a part of that. And so now he goes down. And so maybe this is just a case of, hey, we have the spot on our 40 man. We could use another depth arm here. We know this guy. We know Burgeon. We have seen him before. He's a lefty with a pulse. He has three option years. Let's go for it. Yeah. Exactly. Those three option years, by the way, that's not insignificant. I mean, mm-hmm. teams are always looking for depth, optionable depth. The guys you typically see DFA'd, you know, either have zero options or sometimes one option, and there's not much flexibility there. But especially at this point of the offseason where they're mixing and matching with the fringes of their roster, they want that optionable depth. So that makes sense mm-hmm. for that reason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Alrighty, that's all of our news for the week. That was riveting, wasn't it? <laughs> you want to talk DFAs? I'll get talk DFAs. <laughs> let's no, let's pass it. We can, we can discuss Robel Garcia for the next half hour if you really want to, but I don't know okay, if you right, right. want. Curry Miller? Let's, okay, okay. <laughs> let's get into the trade of the week. This one's pretty interesting. It's from user Inros We Trust. It's between the Blue Jays and the Cubs. So in this deal, it's it's a bad contract swap here where the Blue Jays shore up their bullpen a little bit. They're acquiring right-handed reliever Craig Kimbrell, who we have at negative $10.8 million in trade value. He's That contract has not worked out at all for the Cubs, but in the last month or so of last season, he did seem to start to turn a corner a little bit. He got some velo back. He was having some success, so maybe there's a little bit something left in the tank there. In exchange, they're sending the Cubs outfielder Randall Grichik who we have at negative 12.6 in trade value, as well as catcher Riley Adams prospect, who we have at 2.1 million in trade value. And Grichik's an interesting case in that he's 29, his contract's underwater, and it was kind of underwater from day one. I, I think we both really hated that contract from the second it was signed. Yeah. Uh, he had a, a decent year last year as well, although it's it was in a relatively unsustainable way. Some The strikeouts are always going to be high for him, and now he's a little bit, I, w- I don't want to say forced out, but it's a little bit crowded in that outfield now that they've signed George Springer. So it makes sense that both for monetary reasons and for roster reasons that they could uh, look to move him. But I'm not sure if I quite see the fit with the Cubs there. I kind of do. I mean, you know, they lost Almora. He's kind of an Almora replacement if you squint. I mean, he's promulent right in center field and mm-hmm. he's just okay right he, but he's not worth his contract is the problem i mean we have his field value 
at 16.9 over the next three years, but his salary is 28, so that's why he's negative. But it's not like he doesn't have field value, right? So he's he's a you know he's a guy you can bat seventh ish in the order and you know play a decent outfield whether it's the corner or center and get by. You know it's not exciting, you know, but he fills a role on the Cubs, and yeah. I think and I think there's a sense that you know Kimbrel was a mistake, and the, you know we've already talked about the Cubs saving money, so. Um, you could argue that um, I think they um, – I don't have to do the math here on the salaries. It could be a wash, but they might save a buck or two on the salary. Um, so, you know, you could look at it from that perspective. And the more you look at this, the more you say, huh, okay. Adams, I mean, the the Blue Jays have a lot of catcher depth, especially mm-hmm. in the young catcher depth, so they can easily expend one of them. And, the, you know, and I don't think the Cubs have – well, no, they have a Maya coming up. Um, and, they, you know, they've got two years of Contreras left, but they might trade him. So there you could set, you get the sense that, okay, the Cubs could use, a, you know, a catcher prospect, even though he's not a great catcher prospect. The Cubs could use another outfielder, and they could get rid of Kimbrell because they've kind of, you know, he's he's – He's um, they've kind of soured on him. So, you know, you can see a change of scenery. It's what it is. It's, just, it's a bad contract change of scenery for both of them. And I could see if I could swim, that'll make it work. And then sure enough, you know, we've got a ratio here of positive, negative, 13 positive and 12 negative. So I think other people see it as well. <clears throat> I have a new, I'm not going to say favorite, but I have a new weird, silly stat that I think I like a lot. If you'd yeah. like to hear it here. And it's, it's okay. about Randall Grichuk. This is, this is no Chris Davis 247. <laughs> but l- let's run through Randall Grichuk's career walk rate season by season, okay? Yeah. <laughs> 2014, this was only 116 plate appearances in his rookie year, 4.3%. Okay, that's low bar there. His next season, 2015, almost a full, se- probably about a half a season there with the Cardinals, 350 plate appearances, <laughs> 6.3% walk rate. After that, 5.9, 5.9, 5.8. 5.6, 5.6. Wow. That's, that's, how do you, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I understand that, that, that will never reach the absurdity of the Chris Davis 247 thing, but it's still, <laughs> usually you see guys, they'll, they'll take a step in one of the two directions, or even if they don't improve or decline, they'll at least jump around a little bit. This is Yeah, that's bizarre. weird. Yeah, it's also it's also not exactly the number you want to stay at if you are gonna if you are gonna keep a pretty consistent walk rate. You probably want that to be a little higher than five point eight percent. Yeah, exactly. But it is who he is, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so that's that. That was dumb, but it's just a little thing. Um, no, that's okay. Uh, I, I sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I was I was listening to uh, effectively wild the other day. They had Sadahev Sharma on. He's the Chicago Cubs beat writer for the Athletic. Mm-hmm. And they were discussing Craig Kimbrell, and he thinks, and I mean, (laughs) there's a caveat here that we've discussed before, that even the best beat writer types aren't necessarily always in tune with trade values and how they work. (laughs) But his speculation was that at the deadline, Kimbrell could be one of their top pieces if he were to continue his, if that turnaround in the second half of 2020 was legit, and he continues that, and he's looking like, good Craig Kimbrell, maybe not prime Craig Kimbrell, but good Craig Kimbrell, then maybe they eat a little bit of that salary and can actually get a pretty solid prospect back. So I think I think there's reason to gamble on something like that rather than just take the best offer you can get now and take another bad contract and a, a, a pretty mediocre catching prospect. Um, I think there's 
that's a defensible decision if they did decide to keep him and say, <clears throat> let's see what happens at the deadline because yeah. there aren't there aren't too many obvious relief pitcher trade candidates of the deadline. You could probably say that most years. There usually isn't some huge name that looks like they're going to be dealt because they're, they've probably already been dealt in the offseason. But if there was one that could really kind of lead the market with a strong few months at the start of the season, it's probably Kimbrell. Maybe if he continues his upswing. I mean, because he's been to the mountaintop, right? So you know there's upside if he just finds mm-hmm. it again, right? And sometimes relievers have that sort of up and down kind of style to their career. Mark Melanson comes to mind when he was traded from the Giants to the Braves, and there was an underwater contract there, but they ate it all, all you know, like or the Braves took it all. And so, like, yeah, because the Braves had a really bad bullpen and they were going for it. And so they were kind of a little bit more desperate than they should have been on the price. Um you know, but I would also say beat writers tend to for focus more on field value than salary and not yeah. surplus so much. Um, so it's hard for me to say he's, he's going to get kind of back to positive value, maybe, you know, but it's a little bit of a stretch. But, hey, weirder things have happened. <clears throat> and even if he doesn't quite get back to positive value, they could always eat a little bit of the contract. We've shown that they're or they've yeah. shown that they're at least somewhat willing to in that they did it in the Darvish deal. They're probably not necessarily looking to do so, but I think if you ask the Cubs, if you ask Jed Hoyer right now, he'd say, yeah, if we want to get, <laughs> if we want to get out from this Kimbrel contract, we're not going to be able to do it by just yeah, <laughs> trading <but> him alone. <laughs> true, but I mean, they're not going to get a huge prospect out of it, and they're yeah. clearly facing a rebuild after this year yeah. with you know, all the expiring contracts they have. So, you know, um, that's a bigger conversation. But they're, you know, is I think the best they can hope for is to squeeze, is to eke out a little minor prospect out of the, out of that Kimbrel deal. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you very much, in Ross. We trust for that trade proposal. Uh, must be a usual. must be a Blue Jays fan. Yes, I would imagine <laughs> <laughs> a Blue Jays fan not too confident in the back end of their bullpen. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, as always, if you would like to be featured on the show, just submit a trade proposal on the site, and if we like it and the site viewers users like it, then maybe we'll talk about it. Now let's head into our feature segment here. Just to preface, this is quite unplanned, unscripted. We kind of came up with this a little bit on the fly. We have some names here, some categories, but we're just going to kind of roll with it and see <laughs> see where we end up here. So the idea here is we want to take a look back at some of the guys that were either rumored as trade candidates or make a lot of sense as trade candidates, some of those really good rentals or other short-term players on bad teams. <laughs> that we kind of expected to get moved or thought might get moved and have hung around. So we've divided these players into four different categories here. And let's just jump into this first one here. And it's the players that we believe definitely should have been traded. <laughs> and so yeah. these these four guys are all rental players on teams that we don't believe to be contending. Um, it's actually on two specific teams <laughs> that we don't believe to be contending. Let's start with the Rockies. And the big name, the weird one that everyone everyone's kind of been thinking about, buzzing about since the Arenado trade is Trevor Story. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he's only got the one year of team control left. Um, I, I believe there was a report that came out recently saying that they're kind of out of money <laughs> and not necessarily looking to extend him anymore, even though that was what they said at the time of the Arenado trade was, hey, this is what we're going to do with this money that we're saving. We're going to lock him up. That might not be the case. I think we all very reasonably doubted that the second it came out of their mouths. Um, but it, he is probably the top remain, 
no, not even probably. He's undoubtedly the top remaining rental on the market, and he's going to be the top rental at the deadline here. <clears throat> we yeah. have him at thirty point eight million in trade value right now, and that's on, that's even with the eighteen and a half million salary he'll be earning. So that just that just gives you an idea of the caliber of player he is and the caliber of return they might have gotten for him right now. Now yeah. you had an interesting suggestion sort of at the beginning of us thinking through this idea, which is maybe maybe if they are keeping him and we get to the deadline and his value is lower because obviously he'll have played a couple months, two, three, four months with his team and the, the acquiring team would only get two or three months of him. Maybe that makes him easier for a team like the Reds or the right. A's maybe, or another one of these teams that, maybe couldn't afford his salary or his prospect cost in the off season. Maybe they can at the deadline. Exactly. I think that's the hold up here. Well, I mean, look, who knows <laughs> what's going on with the Rockies. <laughs> um, I think my, I have no evidence to back this up, but <clears throat> we've talked in the past about um, how some of the executives are good at managing up. Dave Dombrowski, we talked about, is really good at managing up. In other words, they make the owner feel good. <clears throat> they buy into, they get the owner, they kind of schmooze the owner so that they can get what they want. I think I think uh, Jeff Breidich is, is good at managing up as well because Doc, Dick Monfort clearly likes him. He probably should have fired him a while ago. Everyone thinks he's on the hot seat, but he still hasn't. So somehow he's earned is Dick Monfort, the owner's loyalty. Um, so, and so my theory is if Monfort likes the guy and wants to keep him around, he's going to keep him around. He's going to say yes, because he wants to stay in his good graces. Um, so this may not be just the most rational sort of front office. You know, we've seen other sort of hints that they're not the most rational front office. So that said, I think it's obvious that he's a trade ship for them, especially after Arenado, to your point. So, because he's the only guy left who's like a four-war player standing out amongst the, you know, <laughs> it's a star and scrub situation here. So, with the exception of like Herman Marquez. So, um, they can get a lot for him, but it was probably too much. One thing I will observe, I think they, they know their valuations. With the Arenado trade and them kicking in $50 million, as we've discussed in the past, it worked mm -hmm. out very closely to what we expected. So it's not like they are naive about the trade value. And in this case, they know they've got a lot of trade value in story, and they're right to insist on it. But it's, to your point, may, it may not have been a fit. Like the Reds can't afford that, either in terms of the $18.5 million salary because they were looking to cut costs, or they don't want to give up their prospects because they know they may have a rebuild coming in on their own. So like, there's just not a good fit. But that's he didn't move because no one could meet that price, and they were right to keep to that price. And by the way, on that price, that includes the value of the draft pick they would get <clears throat> um, if they held on to him all year, issued him a QO, he declines, they get a draft pick, which we value at about nine million. We also sort of skewed him to the high side because we know he's a star, and they should. You know, like Lindor was, maybe not quite as much of a star as Lindor, but you could argue he's just as productive, if not more so, as Lindor. And they should offer him at the higher range of the price. So we've done both of those things, and that's how we get to 30. So um, it's hard to see a fit now, and I think that's why he wasn't traded. Um, there just wasn't a fit. There wasn't a team that could meet the price, either in terms of salary or prospect costs. So, but I think there may be uh, an availability you know, if you cut its prices in half, let's say, and we'll work it out in a future article, um, at the deadline, he may be a lot more affordable and you could see him move there. It's a little bit like the uh, 
Manny Machado situation a couple of years ago with the Orioles where he was more affordable then and they moved him to the Dodgers. So another situation like that. Yeah, and this feels like one of those situations that, I, that we mentioned in the past where it's kind of the shape of the offseason <clears throat> that might have screwed them over a little bit. <laughs> it seems like this is completely speculation just based on what we actually saw. No inside information, obviously, but it seems like the Rockies, maybe they thought they were going to try and contend in 2021, or I don't I don't know what they thought for the first, <laughs> yeah. portion, first few months of this offseason. But the fact that it took them so long to move Arenado, and from, the, from what I've read and heard, it doesn't seem like it was a situation where oh, they were haggling with St. Louis for four months or whatever. They've been in touch with St. Louis for years for years now about Arenado. And it seemed like they kind of reached back out to them sort of suddenly in at, near the start of 2021 and said like, hey, how about this kind of framework? And the Cardinals were like, oh, wow, that works for us. Let's get into this. And then it went from there. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Which leads me to believe that Maybe they thought they were contending. I don't know. They thought, at least for the first part of the offseason, it seems like they thought they would enter 2021 with both Story and Arenado on their team. As a result, since Story is a rental, this was really the only offseason they have with him, obviously, because they can't trade him next offseason because he won't be on the team anymore. And by waiting the way that they did, they missed out on a lot of teams with needs at shortstop that might have preferred Trevor Story. Yeah. I don't I don't think the Mets would have preferred Story over Lindor just because A that Lindor trade also got them Carlos Carrasco, B Lindor is younger, he's a generational talent and personality. He's a real face of the franchise type guy. He's exactly the type you want to turn the Mets around with Cohen in charge now. Mm-hmm. Uh but if you're the Rockies and you're thinking you're going to win, so you're not even shopping story. And again, maybe they were, we don't know for sure, but it doesn't seem like they were. Uh, but if you're not even shopping him, then you don't get to find out if the Mets would have preferred story and, and maybe paid more for him than for Lindor, which is, I believe what, <laughs> what the values would dictate that they would have paid more. Mm-hmm. Um, so and then they just kind of hung around every team filled their shortstop holes, except for the Reds and the Reds don't have the kind of money to put Trevor's story into the books without the Rockies eating most of it. And then at that point, you're talking about a huge prospect return for one year of a guy. And the Rockies probably aren't looking to eat too much more money after they're eating Arenado's entire 2021 salary. Um, But really, they did this to themselves. And if they don't trade or extend story this season, you got to look at it as a failure. You got to look at it as... $30.8 $30.8 million in trade value is a lot, especially for one year of a guy. We're talking a pretty high caliber prospect or yeah. a pretty significant prospect package yeah. that could really jumpstart this incoming Rockies rebuild here. Yeah, and, and it's not even the type of trade where it's like, oh, this guy might still be around on our next good team. No, he's a rental. This isn't Herman Marquez where you have him on a pretty affordable contract. The time is now <laughs> to, to do something here, either lock him up or trade him. And I, I'd be 
shocked beyond belief if they lock him up unless something significantly <clears throat> changes within the next eight months or so. Yeah, I think the only uh, looking back towards the earlier parts of the offseason, we were talking about how the two teams with money to spend were the Mets and the Blue Jays. Um, because the Mets had a new owner who didn't lose any money. The Blue Jays had a you know pretty low balance sheet. So <clears throat> the Mets, to your point, got, out, got Lindor. The Blue Jays ended up with Semyon, who they moved to second. Now, because they needed another middle infielder, right? So you could have made mm-hmm. the case that Story would have been a perfect fit for the Blue Jays. They would have moved Bichette to second or worked it out so maybe Story plays third. I don't know. He could have gone any number of ways. Mm-hmm. He's His salary is, you know, they paid Semyon 18. His salary is 18.5. So, you know, you, they could have afforded him. And That's they could the missed him opportunity. With their farm. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. And they got a total. Yeah. Easily. So that was. The opportunity, I think, that was probably the most promising that they missed. Mm-hmm. And now you're looking at those two teams that were kind of left hung out to dry as far as sort of contenders that had openings at shortstop, the A's and the Reds. Neither of them have ever, maybe the Reds to a little bit of an extent, but neither of them have ever really been the team to make that huge splash at the deadline for that huge name and give all their prospects um, especially, especially when the A's don't have a whole lot of those prospects left. Yeah. So I don't know if they, I'm, I'm sure something will happen and they'll find a trade for story. He'll probably trade him for the Dodgers for some, for some reason, they'll find a reason. Justin Turner will get hurt or second base Gavin Lux wonder perform or whatever. You'll, you'll, that feels in a weird way, inevitable. It feels like another Manny Machado situation. Um, yeah, Obviously although fit isn't clear right now. Yeah, but... and Monfort has said he doesn't like trading with the Dodgers. They're in division, and there's something mm-hmm. about that. But I mean, I could have seen him go to the Phillies after Dombrowski came in before mm-hmm. Didi signed. Uh, maybe if there's an injury, that'll you know somebody will talk again. Um, so it's not. Totally... I could have seen him going to the Twins. Before yeah. They, if they were committed from the get-go in shifting Polanco to second base, <clears throat> they have a really strong farm for a contender, and they have room there to deal from it. And instead of Andrelton Simmons, why don't you get a similarly incredible defensive shortstop with an incredible bat to go with it? Yeah. They would have been all over that, I'm sure. Yeah, and they're in win-now mode, so why not? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. So, yeah, they missed some opportunities there. I mean, and, and, and now it's probably too late. So, yeah, the math is you could have gotten $30 million prospect value, and if you wait and do nothing, you'll end up with nine. Uh, mm-hmm. That's your floor. <clears throat> if you trade him at the deadline, we'll work out the math, but it's somewhere between that. So, um, yeah, more to come on that one, but that's a missed yeah. opportunity. I think the number one thing I want to stress here, and I don't want to spend too much longer on this since we have a list of about 20 other players. <laughs> this is obviously the biggest one of those 20, but uh, we'll have to get moving here. But I want to just stress that there's no chance no chance unless he's going up to the plate and hitting a home run in every plate appearance and at that point he's just going to get intentionally walked anyway but there's no realistic chance that his trade value goes up from this point between now and the deadline that's not going to happen that's not how it works you're if you trade for him now you're getting a full season of him if you trade for him at the deadline you're getting two months in the playoffs that's it that's the facts he's not going to go up in trade value so (laughs) at this point by the day their return that they could possibly get for him is diminishing to the point where yes his trade value is 30.8 but if you really can't extend the guy then maybe you should take a return that's only worth 25 or even 20 
because that might be more than your if that's the only offer out there it's probably going to be more than you're going to get in july yeah and soon as uh as soon as the season starts opening day um it goes down by nine million because the draft pick is removed because uh, he won't be on that team for the whole year so they can't keep little so that's consideration for the rockies that's their floor but you know if, if a team acquiring him can't get a draft pick if they don't resign him then that's you know that that's going to knock it down right away it's like a like a new car driving off the lot <laughs> suddenly, suddenly it, it, it goes down by a lot yeah all right let's hit the next rocky on this list uh it's john gray and he's just been frustratingly he's had such a weird rockies career you know if you're just looking at era here he's been frustratingly inconsistent he goes up and then down and up and then down Looking at his FIP, he's been pretty solid for his whole career until 2020, when he really just fell off a cliff. He wasn't missing any bats. He was going. He went back to giving up a whole lot of home runs. Really bad season for him. He is in his final year of team control. He's on an affordable contract, only $6 million in his final year of arbitration. And he's always felt like the type where he's just a tweak or two away, get him out of Colorado, maybe mess with his pitch mix a little bit, and he's a stud. Yeah. But they've never traded him, and I think it's because they've always had this delusion in their minds that they're competing, even though everybody else in the game can tell that they're not. And so they've always held on to him. But this is this is <laughs> to a lesser extent than Story, because he's a far, far less valuable player. But this is the time. you got to make a move here. And maybe he is a type that they could extend, but why would they want to if he's shown yeah. that he, at times, he just can't pitch at Coors? <laughs> I mean... That that's not a knock on him. Most guys can't pitch at Coors, but if you're gonna extend someone, you extend Marquez, who they already extended, who has proven that he can be successful in that ballpark. So yeah. I'm shocked they haven't already moved him, and it feels inevitable. And it feels like, <laughs> doesn't it feel like the Astros here? It does. Um, with friend out, Framber Valdez now yeah. out for a while, they could use another. And, and the Astros have salary cap issues, and he's only making six, so they could probably squeeze him into the budget. Uh, so we have his field value at eleven point one against the salary of six. So that gives him a surplus of five point one. And given his sort of confluence of issues, we don't see him getting an overpay and so much that 5.1 is his value and if you think about it like the trick we like to play often is like if he were a free agent what would he get 111 okay that sounds about reasonable for him you know he's got some upside but he's got some trouble um robbie ray got eight another similar category you know a few other guys like gosman and smiley you know he's in that category of play of pitcher so 111 i could see so against the salary of six you can see he's got about a five million dollar um, surplus and so you know i'll get you a you know, not a you know, not a huge prospect, but okay prospect, you know, a 40-ish, 40 plus 40, maybe a 45 pitcher, you know. Um, so not the end of the world. Might as well start kind of recycling into a younger version if you can. I, I could see him trade being traded right now. I'm surprised he's not. Mm-hmm. That might, uh, I imagine you're looking at the back end numbers there uh, for his trade value. Yeah. Yeah, on the site he's listed at 13.2 in... Uh, in a field value in 7.2 in surplus. So might be something that wasn't necessarily pushed all the way through to the site there or. In a uh, sorry. Pricing. Yeah. Sorry. Got to update that. Sorry about yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I'll, I'll say the same thing as before where obviously he's a, he's a rental. He's not going and he's just losing time here. His trade value isn't going to 
necessarily go up, but I could see it if he does have a really strong first half here and there doesn't look like the pitching starting pitching will always be in huge demand at the deadline, especially starting pitching with the potential to be frontline. And especially I think this season in which we could see a whole lot of pitchers go down with injuries since everyone's trying to fill in innings here. Everyone is, is going to be grasping at whatever they can as they try to manage the jump from 60 games to 162. So I, there is an argument here that maybe they don't lose a whole lot in keeping him, especially since he is coming off from of such a poor year. But at the same time, they have the same risk there that, you know, maybe in May his elbow starts barking and that's it. They get nothing for him. Yep. So, I don't know, maybe they're thinking deadline. And I apologize, there, I need to make an update on the back end that we made on the front end. But the front end number is is what we're going with. So, yeah, thanks okay, for that. Okay, gotcha. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's head into the last two that are in this first category that we think definitely should have been traded. These might go a little quicker. We're heading back to the Royals here for both of these guys. We're going to start with Jorge Soler. Mm-hmm. So he was a very shrewd pickup by them. He really disappointed throughout his entire Cubs career after being a really touted prospect kind of in that Chris Bryant, uh, Javier Baez class there. He didn't do much for the Cubs. Broke out like crazy in his third season with the Royals. Uh, 2019, he hit 48 homers. And then was very productive again. Uh, he was productive again last year. Took a bit of a step back. Uh, only a 108 WRC plus eight homers. Strikeouts ticked up a lot. So he's their DH right now. As we mentioned, they might think they're contending. So that kind of explains why they didn't trade him this offseason if they are kind of looking to at least put a decent product on the field. But he still looks like a very prime trade deadline candidate to a team that loses an outfielder or a DH. Yeah, or a team that needs that kind of right-handed power bat. Um, so, you know, there's not much surplus here. You know, we have his field value at 9.3. His salary is 8, so he's got a surplus of 1.3. Um, so that's a minor prospect. Um, now, he's coming off a, an awkward year. <laughs> so it's possible that given a sort of a return to semi-normal conditions, he might sort of perk back up again because you could maybe write that off as weird um but um and if he does you know he may retain some of that value keep in mind that salary will go down as well so that ratio is more or less the same but sometimes it's a little off so you might be able to squeeze a little bit more value out of at the deadline um but you know um as we said earlier the royals are a weird team hard to predict they might think they have an outside chance at a wild card so they might just kind of see what they have for a little little while here so in in light of their other moves i guess i'm not too surprised that you know he wasn't traded and also the fact that there's no dh in the national league maybe they were waiting on that um, Mm -hmm. because he's really a dh at this point in his career so there's not much of a market for that so um, you know, if there isn't, then it limits him to kind of right-handed bench bat in the, in the NL, or if they can find a fit in the AL for a DH, then it's fairly limited market. So I guess that explains that too. Yeah, this one's pretty defensible along similar lines of John Gray, where maybe the market isn't entirely there in the off season, but if he shows in those first couple months that he's back to where he was in 2019, then the value could increase a little bit. They could get a, a, a stronger return for him if he isn't, yeah. if he's if he's not putting up a league average OPS or league average WRC plus as a DH. <laughs> yeah. 
So then their other piece that we want to hit on real quick is Danny Duffy. And he's been, it seemed like he's been underwater through the entirety of his contract. They (laughs) really, you could tell they really thought he was turning a corner in 2016, 2017, and maybe turning into blossoming into a true mid rotation or frontline guy. Instead, he went the other direction and he's been useful, but he's been much more of a back end type arm and Alex Cobb type somewhere in that kind of range. Yeah. Um, and so that's why we have his value at negative nine flat. Um, he's earning over $15 million on his contract compared to 6.2 in field value here. So this is the type of guy that like Alex Cobb, he'll find a home probably at that trade deadline, especially once his salary is cut in half or more. Uh, he'll find a home from some team that needs reliable innings and um, is willing to eat some of the contract. I'm sure the Royals will have to eat some of it too and get some nondescript prospect in return. Um, I'm not I'm not necessarily shocked that they didn't trade him this offseason given the direction that they're choosing to go. And I think even if they were, uh, just given the weird nature of this offseason where teams spent the first half of it not really knowing what finances would look like, um, even if they were deciding, all right, we're blowing it all up, I wouldn't have been too surprised to see him hang around then because teams might not have been as willing to take on the salary. Yeah. But this seems like the prime candidate for one of those really minor deals at the deadline in exchange for some low minors lottery ticket or whatever. Yeah, it's Homer Bailey again at that point. Yeah. I think. <clears throat> Who else? I mean, the Royals do have a history of making those types of deals at the deadline, so mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't um, be surprised at all. Um, you know, I, he's not like a fan favorite, as far as I can tell. Um, he's just a guy, <laughs> you know. He's just a sort of cromulent <laughs> starter, um, and so I don't think they're gonna, you know, cry any tears if he's traded. Um, I, I just think there wasn't much of a market for him and so yeah as he said i think at the deadline they might get a little minor prospect and may have to work out the money um but i think it's their best bet because he's not getting qo'd so you know it's best they can do mm-hmm. all right next we're going to move into this next category and i think we're going to go a little bit quicker through each category as we go <laughs> or uh, maybe next just, cat- maybe just limit it to this one and then we can do the other ones next time yeah that, that's a good idea uh, so that gives us a little more time then to work with this one because there are some pretty interesting names in here. Yeah. Uh, this, yeah. this category we have is just the guys that we think probably should have been traded. And so these are guys that aren't necessarily rentals, but they are, their clock is ticking. <laughs> they are running out here and they are on what we perceive to be non-contenders. So the first one and probably the biggest one on this list is Joey Gallo. Um, he's been in trade rumors this offseason, and I believe that last offseason as well just because the Rangers have been kind of blowing it up, not necessarily to the fullest extent, but they have traded most of their valuable trade chips, and he's really the last one there. Um, And it seems like at this point that they're just going to ride it out. And I can kind of understand that. He seems like the type that maybe, maybe because he is so high variance and because the value that he creates is in such, I don't want to call it an ugly way, but it is an ugly way. <laughs> he's he's the embodiment of what com- people complain about when it comes to modern baseball, in that he's three true outcomes to the extreme. Mm-hmm. And it, his highest batting average of his career is 253, and that was only because he posted a 368 BABIP, which is never happening again. Um, but... He is a valuable player because he walks a ton, he hits a ton of homers, and he's versatile and valuable defensively. So 
the value is there, but I could see teams saying that this is a very versatile player. This is a very versatile asset here because of the strikeout rate, which his lowest career strikeout rate was in 2020, and it was 35 flat. Yeah. I, I'd wait <clears throat> was close to leading the league in, in 2020, and that was his career low. Yeah. Um, That's ugly. So I, I can see that as being the type of player that isn't necessarily as attractive to other teams, but I, I, I still think there's teams that there's other teams that will recognize the value there. And I think it is a matter of time before he is traded. Maybe it's the sort of thing where, and I think I alluded to this in the past where he, I don't know if he's a fan favorite. He seems like the type that wouldn't be just because there might be some of those old crony fans that say, ah, he just strikes out all the time. Ah, he should bunt more <laughs> or whatever. Um, so maybe he is the type that they trade next off season or at the deadline or whatever, because I don't think he is a part of their next good team, their next great team, their next competitive team. Um, but the clock isn't necessarily, he's got two years left on his, uh, of team control. So I don't think it's necessarily as pressing that they traded him this offseason, but I it is weird that they didn't, given that they traded pretty much everyone else. Yeah, I mean, they know they, they should trade him. They know they're rebuilding. They know that um, they can get some value out of, out of him now. They also know he's coming off a bad year, so maybe they can get a little bit more for him, perhaps at the deadline. I mean, here's a guy also, one of his issues is he gets shifted on all the time because he's a pull hitter. Um so that you know, his average has you know never been high. He was 181 last year. I mean, I know a batting average is not the be all end all, but I think the the it speaks to the fact that you know he gets a lot into the shift, right? Um, so he's trying to make up for that with power and with walks, and there's only so much you can do, uh, which is why he was below average as a hitter overall last year. Mm-hmm. So, um, but he does bring good defense, does bring good the walk, the walks, so obviously great power. So you know, there's. Three out of four ain't bad, right? So you can still mm-hmm. get something for him. Um, no, you can get a good price for him now. And it's just a question of where. I mean, obviously, the Indians are always looking for an impact outfielder. But they're not clear on, you know, it, it was a weird year for them offseason-wise. They kind of had a – they're always trying to thread the needle, re, retooling a little bit with the Lindor trade. and you know, and But they've got the good pitching, and they could use another impact bat. I still think that's a strong fit. You know, you could maybe make a case for the Astros who need another outfielder. So there's there's places for him to go. Um, and I think maybe if they just um, see him go back to the three war player he was in 2019, you know, they'll, they'll, I could see them pulling the trigger at the deadline. Yeah, he's another one similar to Gray and Solaire in that 2020 was one of the worst years of his career. Posted yeah. career lows in walk rate and batting average as you mentioned on base slugging woba wrc plus iso everything that really measures his <laughs> his success as a hitter it was his worst offensive season by far yeah. um but he was a still still a valuable player still worth one win according to fan graphs in only 57 games because of his defense and so that's that's the part of him that's really what saves him here yeah. if he was just this really super extreme three true outcomes type guy but he was a dh then his value would be nowhere yeah. near the 25.2 we have him at <clears throat> that's right uh, on the site it, it a huge chunk of that value i mean a chunk of that value is that he is an above average hitter but 
a lot of it as well is that he's an above average hitter while playing a solid outfield at all three positions really mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh he did play primarily right field last year but he has kind of moved around and if he were to go to a team like the astros he'd probably be asked to play center field and he'd probably do fine out there mm-hmm. um so i'm not entirely sure i see him getting moved at the deadline <clears throat> i don't know I don't know if I have an explanation there, if it's just kind of a gut thing where it's like that that doesn't mix in my head for some reason. Uh, but I could see the the rumors really picking up next off season for sure. Yeah, I mean, just like with Story, his value is probably not going to go up anymore mm-hmm. as time goes on. It's probably going to erode. So, you know, don't don't sleep on him, Ragers. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and pull the trigger anytime, anytime <laughs> you're ready. <laughs> exactly. Okay, next name we want to go to here. Speaking of guys that uh, maybe should have been traded a couple of years ago, <laughs> we're, we're talking Matt Boyd. And he was really, for a time there, and this was right about, around when we started up the site and really started getting more traction and everything, for a time there, he was one of the top trade candidates in baseball, especially yeah. among starting pitchers. He might have been the top starting pitching trade candidate in baseball because 2020 was a pre- or excuse me, 2018 it's a pretty solid season. 2019 took a huge step forward. He missed a lot of bats. 11.56 strikeouts per nine, 30.2% strikeout rate. That's near elite right there. Yeah. Uh, but he paired it with some home run problems. So a lot of people were thinking maybe there's a, a, a little tweak here, or maybe it's just get him out of Detroit. Detroit's never been necessarily considered a hitter's park, but I don't know, maybe just a change of scenery type guy. But then his struggles really continued into 2020. Uh, strikeout rate dipped, walk rate increased, home run rate increased over an already high rate. Yeah. Uh, and, and that all adds together to give you a 671 ERA on the season, which isn't good. <laughs> and that, so a combination of those struggles and some updates we've made to our model to improve it um, based, on, based on the feedback we've gotten from real life trades. A combination of those have really tanked his value over the last couple of years. And at this point, you're not looking at a whole lot in return for him. But you're also not looking at a lot if you hold on to him. So maybe yeah. I see the argument for giving him a couple months at the start of the se- season, seeing if he can show some sort of a flash that lets a team go, yeah, we'll bet on this. Uh, but we have him at $6.4 million right now, and I'm not sure it goes too much higher than that. Yeah. Now, a couple factors here. One is, you know, he's out of options. Now, for an established pitcher like that, or established player of any kind, you get to a point where that's not really a factor. But if you start to slip down to sort of fringy categories, and he was 0.1 F4 this year, that's kind of fringy. Then it kind of creeps up again and like, oh, he's out of options, so you can't send him down. So like you have no option other than to trade him or DFA him, which is going to lower his value a little bit. So that's one factor here. The other factor here is, you know, the the change in the baseball um, may, you could argue that he's a bounce back candidate because some of those home runs may stay in the park now if you've got a, a debtor baseball. Um, now that may, you know, I'm no pitching expert, but you have to ask yourself, why are those home runs going over the fence in the first place? Is it because he's got a very flat hit, hittable fastball? You know, probably. Um, and so is that going to change? You know, and if so, you know, he's not going to get good power hitters out. He's going to get, you know, bad power hitters out or bad hitters in general, but, but he's going to get killed by the good ones. So like that doesn't make him too attractive. So 
the Tigers are obviously rebuilding. They've got some good young pitching coming up. Um, you know, it, it may be time to pull the trigger or on whatever they can get at this point. You know, because he's just his value just keeps falling. Unless you think there's a good candidate, he's a good candidate for bounce back. He, I could see a case for that, but even if he does bounce back, it's not going to be that much at this point. So it's a get what you can situation. I'm surprised he's still there. Um, and, and, you know, I will say the Tigers GM, Alavila, has been known to overshoot a little bit on his asking price. So if there was interest, he might have been overshooting a little bit than, you know, toward the, from what the market could, could would actually spend on him. So that may be in play. But, you know, he's made some deals at a certain point. He makes the deals, so I think he should in this case as well. Yeah, he's got two years of control left, so you figure there might even be some Royals-type teams who aren't necessarily in it but would take a chance on this guy. So his market's... For, for a pitcher who just put up a 671 ERA, his market's got to be pretty substantial. Um, another weird factor here that I don't understand is that he's making $6.5 this year. Yeah. I don't know i mean we know the arbitration system sucks yeah but how does it pay matt boyd six and a half million in his second to last year and he's never really been all that great but it pays john gray six million in his final year and yeah. he's had some really great seasons in his career i uh, i've got a real huge bone to pick with the arbitration system i, I think totally most most <clears throat> tuned in baseball fans know it's horrible uh, but I, I can't explain this for the life of me here. Um, and yeah. it, it does work to minimize his trade value here because you figure six and a half here. And if he is good in 2021, which you're hoping for if you trade for him, maybe that number jumps up to eight, nine, ten million. And that's, that's right. a little tougher to roster. Exactly. That's And that's what we projected here. And, and um, you know, um, there was a time when we were even lower on void and that second year was not so much in play. So we were just looking at one year in a, in a non-tender. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a chance he could bounce back. So there's a, re- a little bit of a rethink based on what we see in the market to your point. So um, there's a little bit of a sense that there's going to be, you know, he could be um, tendered as well in 2022, but there wouldn't be much surplus there. So, you know, it's, it's a use them or lose them kind of thing here in terms of trade. I think they should probably pull the trigger before it's too late. Mm-hmm. Next Tigers left-handed pitcher here is Daniel Norris. And he's really interesting, I think. I think he's one of those types that could really blow up first half of 2021 and get a pretty solid return from a more forward-thinking team. He's a former top prospect. He had a couple decent-ish years as a starter uh, and then really just fell apart. (laughs) Um, There were some injuries in there, a whole lot of poor performance, and they finally moved him to the bullpen mostly full-time in 2020, and he was very, very successful. 325 ERA. um, A multi-inning type guy. He only had 14 games, but 27 and two-thirds innings pitched. And very valuable left-handed bullpen piece, and every team in baseball is always looking for that kind of guy. Plus, he's a rental. Plus, yeah. he's not making too much money. He's only at he's at 3.475 million. And so, this is the type of guy. I, I I'm not I'm not shocked they didn't trade him this off season because a lot of the time you do see the relief market kind of blow up at the deadline, mm-hmm. especially if a guy does look like he's made a significant change like this and he's had a strong first half of the season relievers more than anyone else 
uh, it matters what they've done for you lately. Yep. So you could see a starter who has a rough first three months of the season still go for a pretty solid return, whereas a reliever who's had a first solid, a rough first three months, you're not got, getting a whole lot there. You're getting a lottery ticket. Exactly. Um, but I think Norris is the type where uh, I think this is legit. I think he is much more suited for a relief role. His fastball ticked up a couple miles per hour from the shift there. And I think that makes him a pretty solid reliever. And I think he's going to get them a pretty solid return at the deadline. Yeah. I mean, his value is not terribly high right now. But, you know, I I take your point. I think they could. This is a case where they could wait on him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 3.5 salary is affordable. But, you know, cut that in half at the deadline. It'll His value will still roughly be the same, especially if he's pitching well. Keep in mind that, um, you know, he only shifted to the bullpen really full time last year, so he could he could tick up a little bit more in terms of performance this year. Now that he's sort of grown accustomed to the role, so um, yeah. So you know, the name of the segment is why weren't they traded? We kind of answered our own question. Well, because he's probably going to hold his value at the deadline. Yeah. So okay. <laughs> and let me clarify there. I'm not saying that he's going to get some huge return. I'm saying compared to the average rental reliever. I think I think they'll do fairly well with him. They'll get they'll get something of note, not just cash considerations, player to be named later or whatever. Yeah, they can get a you know <laughs> a forty prospect out of him right now, and probably a forty-ish prospect at the deadline. They could get Riley Adams from Toronto. He's, <laughs> there you a, go. he's in the low twos. That's that's almost a fair deal right there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <clears throat> okay, now we're heading to Pittsburgh, and they've torn down pretty well it took them a couple years longer than we think it should have but they've torn down pretty well here uh they do have a couple pieces left though that are at least remotely interesting the first one is adam frazier and this is one of those guys along with bell that they really missed the window on he really struggled in 2020 uh, after after having his best season of his career in 2019 struggled in 2020 he has two years of control left, but in that second year, if he continues anywhere near this trajectory, you're looking at a non-tender there. Uh, he can play everywhere on the field. He's got a decent glove, so he's going to find a spot somewhere probably. We Teams still value versatility to an extent. Um, and and there, there are some reasons to believe in a bit of a bounce back from his 2020 season. He's probably not that bad, but he's also probably not that good. So... <laughs> He's he's much more Brock Holt than he is Ben Zobrist. Yeah. And I think that's reflected in the values we have him at four and a half million. Yeah, I mean the other thing is he's primarily a second baseman, that's where he's played the most. And the second base market, as we've talked about in the past, is really bad. There's always too much supply and not enough demand. And even you see the good ones, Colton Wong going for under what his projections should say. Cesar Hernandez going for under. I mean, it's just like these guys are going for like 30%, 40% under market. So we've adjusted down a little bit for, for Frazier's market as well because of that. Um, you know, so we have him, <clears throat> you know, he's affordable in that sense from a, from a trade value point of view, you know. I wouldn't even. I would be surprised if it goes even a little lower than what we have him at, because there just doesn't seem to be a whole lot of buzz on him. You know, mm-hmm. we've got him at four and a half as a median. Um, so that's like, a, you know, that's a forty-plus prospect. That's maybe even you, you could 
no. Not with a lack of buzz, you're not going to get a 45 out of them. So you know yeah. you could get something for them, and I think the pirates would take that because they're in cell mode. So you know, and they've got plenty of other you know bodies to put that put out there. So you know, I'm not sure why he hasn't been moved, frankly, other than the fact that there's just not been much of a second base market, and he's kind of the the you know, the loser of the musical chairs game. He's a guy who's not really good at anything. <laughs> he's he his value comes from his versatility and that he can passably fill in at a lot of different spots but he's not a big power guy in any way yeah. uh, he he had a career high no he didn't even have a career high so he just kind of found his way into seven home runs last season which extrapolate that and that would have been a career high but you figure a that's fluky b with the changes in the baseball that's probably not happening again um his career high in stolen bases is nine, so he's not quite all that fast. His plate discipline's pretty solid, um, but we mentioned in the for, in, in the past that versatility guys aren't necessarily as sexy as they used to be. Yeah, and it's, it's... because every every versatility guy gets compared to Ben Zobrist, but we haven't seen a Ben Zobrist since. We've seen guys who maybe put together a season of being Ben Zobrist. I'm talking about like Marwin Gonzalez, maybe Kike Hernandez if you squint at one of his best years, um, but nobody can can match that well above average bat with average to above average defense at many different positions that lets you kind of be that Swiss Army knife type. And we've seen the Red Sox; they're kind of collecting these guys for some reason. They have Marwin Gonzalez, they have Kike Hernandez, they just signed Danny Santana to a minor league deal. And so I'd bet that they sell at least one of those three guys at the deadline if they are out of it. Um, and maybe that hurts Frazier's market a little bit because I think at least two of those three guys are better than him, <laughs> Marwin Gonzalez and Kike Hernandez. Yeah. Um, I, I don't see a whole lot here. They really missed their window. They could have gotten something pretty solid for him last offseason, <clears throat> I think. Yeah. Um, at this point, they're really just... <laughs> getting whatever scraps they can and and this is the type of guy who i think they do hold going into the season maybe they find some late spring deal if a team loses an impact player and they they decide that fraser is the best they can do to kind of fill in for that spot until they get back but it really does seem more like at the deadline there's going to be plenty of injuries across the league plenty of spots that need to be filled not everybody's going to get that real stud rental at that position to fill in their spot so they might turn to Frazier instead yeah i mean the a's were interested in Frazier last year i think i'm not sure about this offseason i didn't hear much about that but he kind of fit their mold because they needed a left-handed bat and they needed a second baseman so he was a at least a He's an average player, right? Um, but that was, I mean, last year, last offseason, he was coming off a 97 WRC plus. And mm-hmm. the prior year was at 116. You know, like, you know, he was like, you could say he was average to above average ish overall in terms of his hitting because he had, you know, a little bit better in terms of his walk rates. And, you know, he's not much of a power hitter, but he, you know, he could give you a professional bat. And some teams like that, right? The A's are the ones that like some. So you could have seen a fit there. Um, but I do think they missed their window, um, and they waited a year. So as Billy Bean of the A said, it's always better to trade a year too early than a year too yep. late. And I think it's what happened here. <clears throat> yeah, when you compare Adam Frazier and Tony Kemp, who is the guy the A's ended up trading for to fill that kind of super utility left-handed second baseman role, when you compare those two guys, I mean, you can say Frazier is a bit of a better hitter. He's certainly got more power. 
you can say he's a better defender, but not by a whole lot. He's not that much better of a player, especially when you factor in his struggles in 2020 and Kemp got on base pretty at a pretty high clip in 2020. 363 on base gave him a 98 WRC plus somehow. And so you figure guys like Kemp are always just floating around. Yeah. They're always on the waiver wire. That Kemp's in that sim, in a similar class to Danny Santana, who was just picked up on a minor league deal. Yeah. So are you really going to pay much to upgrade from a Kemp type that you can get for free to get to Frazier, who's maybe a little bit better in a couple different areas? You're not going to yeah. pay that much. So that's that's why his value is so low, and that's why last season you really could have marketed him. Last offseason you could have marketed him as, hey, this is a starting second baseman. He had a 116 WRC plus in 2018, 97 in 2019. Is at least a league average bat. Plus, he can play a bunch of different positions for you. You can market him as that and get at least a notable return. Maybe not knock your socks off, but a notable return. Now that he's had another poor season, you're not getting that. Yeah. Okay. Poor Adam. (laughs) Yeah. Let's move on to the next pirate. And this is a guy that I like a lot. Uh, we're talking we're talking Richard Rodriguez, relief pitcher for the Pirates. Uh, he's super interesting and super under the radar because he really came out of nowhere here. I don't know where he came from off the top of my head. It says on Fangraphs he used to pitch for the Orioles, and I'll believe them, <laughs> but I've never seen it happen. <laughs> I, I never saw him pitch for the Orioles. Um, Relievers are like comes, that. They come out of nowhere. <laughs> yes, yes. And he's already 31, which is, hey, it's his birthday. Happy yeah. birthday, Richard Rodriguez. Oh, yeah. um, but he had a really, really strong 2018 for the Pirates in his first season there. Took a step back in 2019 and then really came back even stronger in 2020. Mm-hmm. And so he's looking like a actual late-inning arm for them and not even just, oh, he's the closer because he's on the Pirates. He's looking like a late-inning option for any team at this point. And... That's going to give him his value is mitigated because he is a reliever and because he is 31 and because he doesn't have a huge track record and he's not he doesn't have that standout pitch that says, oh, he throws 99 with control. So this is sustainable, even if we're a little bit late to the party, even if teams didn't notice this, this is sustainable. He's a stud. He doesn't have that. He averages about 93 on his fastball. But the results are there. The, the results speak for themselves. He's a solid mid to late inning reliever, and I think team and he's got some team control. And I yeah, think teams are really going to value that at the deadline. Yeah, so we have him at 4.0 medium trade value. So field value 8.4, salary estimate 4.4. He's cheap. You know, those three years are relatively mm-hmm. cheap. So because he was a came up, come out of nowhere guy, he was making league minimum, and now he's in his RP years, but it's it's relatively low priced RP years. So you're getting some value here, so you're going to give up some value if you want to trade for him. And I think there will be some interest in him. I'm not sure why he, frankly, wasn't moved, because he's more interesting than Adam Frazier, frankly, because you can see a lot more fits. Everybody could use another relief arm. He's probably a seventh-inning guy for most teams. So who couldn't use one of those, um, especially on the contenders? So, And as you see injuries happening, um, as they start to happen a little bit more in spring training, maybe he gets moved at this point um, to fill a gap. So... Uh, so the yeah, so the jury's still out on this one. He could he could get moved uh, before this spring training is over. I think. Yeah, I really like him. I I'd be pretty shocked if 
I'd be shocked if either A, he struggled in 2021, or B, he doesn't get moved. <laughs> I, I'd yeah. be pretty shocked. I think there's too many smart teams that already have their eye on this guy, that had the, their eye on this guy in 2018 when most of us still didn't know who he was. There's too yeah. many smart teams that are in on this dude that he's going to find a new home and he's going to be pretty successful for somebody. Yeah. And then the last Pirates piece that we're going to talk about today, at least, is Stephen Brault. And he's kind of weird. <laughs> he's kind of <laughs> weird to look at here. He's been kind of this lefty swingman for them. <laughs> he's never been great, but he's also never been horrible. He walks more guys than you'd expect and doesn't strike out a ton, but he does a good job of keeping the ball in the park. He has value, and he has use to some, I'd say some contenders. And maybe there's, he feels like the type of guy who would go to the Dodgers and they find something in him and he clicks and he's great. But just on the surface, he's more of the type of guy that maybe a team with less pitching depth they see a really useful role for him as their long relief type step in stop star, uh, spot starter excuse me uh maybe used in some matchups late in games as, as their kind of second lefty type uh, we have him at 1.8 in trade value which obviously isn't a whole lot he's about to turn 29 and and like i said he doesn't really have a great season under his belt he's just been kind of a capable major league arm for every season that he's been in the bigs yeah, I'm thinking he might be a bulk guy candidate for like the Rays. Um, I like, who that, like to, yeah. who they like to collect guys like this, you know, who can kind of so they're swingman types and kind of play either role, right? Um, they can go three innings, they can you know pitch the seventh inning, whatever you want. He's one of those guys. He's not great, but he can at least you know hold the fort, you know. So he's never going to have a ton of value. Um, uh, as we've mentioned before, he has a sideline. His his winter job is Broadway singer. Um, so when his career's <laughs> over, that's what he's looking at. So um, you're telling me he's going to New York. <laughs> so he might go to New York. Yeah, they. I think they expressed some interest in him at some point in the off season. So, look, he's not going to cost much. So you know, yeah. I don't know if, if the if there's any point in the Pirates holding on to him much longer because he's generally been in this range his whole career. So it is what it is. Yeah, 2020 was really his first strong year, and even that comes with kind of some asterisks there he had a 338 era which is excellent before that his career low was 461 and it was close to a career high in strikeouts he, he did very well but he also walked a ton of guys he didn't give up many homers and he figured yeah he's never been a huge home run guy but their 5.9 home run per fly ball is way low that's got to rebound at least a little bit so he is more of a swingman type and like in a pinch back-end starter. Yeah. And I, I really like that idea you have there as a bulk guy for the Rays. I think that that's probably his perfect role in in, in <laughs> Major League Baseball in 2021, the way that it's played. Yeah. All right, last player here is one that we did touch upon a little earlier in the episode, and that's Whit Merrifield. So he, as I said earlier, he was a real late bloomer for the Royals, and they locked him up to this really affordable contract extension back in 2019. And 2020 was pretty much along his, his career lines here. He's a versatile bat. He is slightly above average. He, he's along the... He's a guy you could actually call a Ben Zobrist. -like. I was just going to say that. You stole my line. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous to call every Marwin Gonzalez or Chad Pinder or Brock Holt. They're not 
Benzobrist lights. They're they're Walmart Benzobrist is what uh, they are. This guy is a Benzobrist type, yes. though. Because he's yes. better. <laughs> yes, he's an above-average bat, plays multiple positions with at least an average glove, and he's going to contribute to you. He's also pretty fast. He can steal some bases. He's got a little bit of pop. There's so much to like about this guy, and he's, he's one of those puts-together-a-good-at-bat type guys, one of those guys that people would call a gamer, grinder, whatever you yeah. want. You kind of have to be if you're making this much of a career out of yourself this, this at this late of an age. Uh, as a guy who was never really a prospect. So he's got some value. His age does hinder that since he is 32, but he is locked up to this very, very affordable contract. So we have him at 19 flat in terms of trade value. And they've hung on to this guy forever, even though they should have traded him last offseason. They should have traded him the last offseason before that. Yep. But if they did decide to trade him, which feels like a long shot given all the other moves that they've made and the direction it looks like they're taking their team, if they did decide to trade him, they could get something pretty substantial here. They could. Now, um, as we said before, it's better to trade too early than too late. You know, he was in the 40s two years ago. He was in Mm -hmm. the 30s not too long ago. And now we've got him down to 19 because he has been showing some age decline, to be honest. He, you know, he was at 119 WRC plus in 2018. Then each year after that, he's declined 110, 106. He's projected in the 90s this year. So we can see some age decline. And that's been the knock on him, which is why he didn't get... You know, that people were surprised that, oh, he signed a contract for not that much money, given what he was cut. He was coming off a five, you know, war season at the time. But it was because of his age and because he was a late bloomer and he didn't have much leverage. And he knew and the Royals knew he was going to be in decline. So now you're starting to see that those arrows are starting to converge a little bit. So he's not as valuable as he used to be. But in a way, you could say now's a good time to acquire him because you don't have to give up as much and he's still got a lot in the tank. So, and he's a better, you know, version of the guys we talked about before, you know, he's, he's very close to Zobra. So he can play second, he can play right. He can play center, you know, and, and that's got some value. So you're going to get up, you're going to give up a good 50 ish prospect and maybe something else for him. Um, but, but it's not as bad as it would have been a year or two ago to get him. So um, from an acquiring standpoint, he's, I still think he's attractive, obviously. Uh, but we talked about the Royals and, you know, they're marching to their own drummer. So they doesn't seem like they're going to, you know, they've said adamantly that they're not trading him. So sounds like they're going to write him out. So why wasn't he traded? Because they don't want to trade him. They like him and they want to see what they have. So, um, you know, in terms of the overall team. So, um, but I do think they missed an opportunity since they are rebuilding the rational side. <laughs> yeah, you probably should have. And you probably still should. <clears throat> oh. it- his savant, the, the baseball savant gives you this kind of little little dashboard here at the top of a player's page with all of their kind of percentile rankings and some of the important categories here. And his is wild. Yeah. <laughs> 11th percentile for exit velo, 7th for hard hit rate, 28th for barrel percentage, 6th percentile for walk rate, but... 91st for expected batting average, 96th for strikeout rate, 89th for sprint speed, 78th for outs above average, and 61st for ex woba, which is not bad. Yeah. Above average. Yeah. So you got a guy who doesn't hit the hit the ball hard, but he hits the ball a lot. He can move well. He has solid contact when he does hit the ball. Maybe he's not crushing the ball, but he's at least driving it and helping lift that expected batting average a bit. And it, it makes for a player that's difficult to give up 
like you mentioned, the package that it might have cost to acquire him two years ago. It's difficult to give up your top prospect if you're getting a guy with an average exit below of 87. <laughs> that That's a tough sell there, both internally and externally. But now that he has decreased a little bit, I think it is more feasible for other teams to make that kind of an offer for him. And it's just a question of whether whether the Royals ever kind of come to their senses here or if they just say, nope, he's a Royal for life, we're keeping him. Yeah, it's it's hard to, you know, it's hard to argue with that because, <clears throat> um, you know, like I said, they've got a new owner. He's kind of their star, you know, um, so, you know, OK. <clears throat> but I, I do think, that, you know, the rational part of me and this is this is a rational site here where we're, we're running says you should have traded him. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So that's it for this half of this why weren't they traded segment um next week we will be getting into some more interesting names we got sal perez on this list jose ramirez um josh Hader, who we've talked about before and some really interesting names on top of them so do not miss next week's episode that one will be fun but i think for today that'll wrap things up so thank you all so much for listening if you have any comments or questions feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on twitter at baseball values also be sure to subscribe to the podcast through your favorite provider so you do not miss an episode we'll be back next week to break down more off-season news and updates if there are any and at the very least we'll hit on the second half of this little exercise here so until then stay safe enjoy the off-season enjoy spring training thanks john Thanks, Josh.